Hello and welcome to another podcast brought to you by Life Community Church, Leamington Spa. Recorded at one of our Sunday morning services, we hope this message inspires, equips and encourages you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Great to see you this morning. If you're a guest here today, then we're so glad that you are with us. And uh, this is now part um, seven of our seven-part series on the Beatitudes. Um, so if you've missed the other... other six. Um, don't worry, you can catch them up on, uh, on uh, the podcast on our website, which is www.life-cc.org. It's a mouthful, isn't it? Didn't Cam do well with the, uh, the announcements? <laughs> There's a lot of things to get through there. So, um, and, uh, but each message is standalone too, so don't worry if you've missed out. That is, um, you can catch up and it's fine. So today I'm going to cover the last two, um, Beatitudes, Peacemakers and Persecuted. Great, I've got the, I've got the good ones. <laughs> so, um, but no, I'm, I'm really excited about this morning's message, what God's put in my heart for us today. And um, just uh, by re- way of sort of re- recap, Charles Swindle, a great um, American author, said this, words can never adequately convey the incredible impact of our attitudes toward life. The longer I live, the more convinced I become that life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we respond to it. So the Beatitudes or the beautiful attitudes are like how-to-be attitudes, attitudes that we are encouraged to adopt as Christians. It's not a pick and mix. Maybe you're here today or listening on podcasts and you're not yet a Christian. That's fine. Maybe you have, feel free to be let off the hook this morning to see what challenge Christians actually receive today about what it is, what attitudes Jesus wants us to have as, as followers of his. But attitude is everything that we need to embrace in life. Definition of attitude, a mode of believing that results in a manner of behaving. What I believe affects how I behave and what I will become. That's the definition of an attitude. It's a way of, do you know what the Bible says, as, as a man thinks, so he is? And it's so important that what we're thinking and what we're thinking is actually what we're behaving. What we feed our minds with ultimately results in what we'll be, we will become. Okay, and here we've got the life cycle of an attitude, which we saw a few weeks ago. And it all begins with a thought. Everything begins with a thought, doesn't it? Everything begins with a thought. And as we meditate on that thought, that thought could be a good thought or a bad thought. could be a thought that says, oh, I'm rubbish or or I'm actually quite good at something. It leads to a decision. Decision then leads to a course of action. Action and continued action leads to a habit. And it's our habits that define us, isn't it? Habits can be good, can be bad. That then leads to an ingrained attitude and then back to a, a thought again. John Maxwell said this, attitudes are the librarian of our past, the speaker of our present, and the prophet of our future. So attitudes are so important. And to break the habit of a lifetime is possible, um, said Chris Beister. That mindset that refuses to move beyond the well-worn tracks of our old thinking can be changed by the intwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus, in these, his Sermon on the Mount, his first public teaching, started off with these eight Beautiful attitudes, also known as the Beatitudes. It's, it's almost like, before he said anything else, he was teaching his followers what we need to think, therefore ultimately what, how we need to become and behave. And the great thing about the Beatitudes is, as we've heard, they all start with blessed or blessed, depending on how you, you pronounce it. Blessed are, is one group of attitudes, and it results in a behavior or a promise afterwards. Have you ever been in a situation where you've seen people react 
either in a good way or a bad way. Okay, I love the fact that we are a multicultural church. I love that. I celebrate that. I am personally British, but then I'm not purely British. I've got a mixture of all sorts in me, including Jewish and including Irish and, and English. So I am a mixture, but I am British. Okay, and have you noticed um, that there are certain things that you can do that can make the British upset? Have you noticed? So one of the great um, British traditions is a cup of tea. But woe to you if you don't bring it to the boil first and boil it properly and then, and then pour it off the rolling boil. Because to the, the British tea drinker, they know what it tastes like. They know when it hasn't been boiled properly. Another one is queue jumping. Who's ever been experienced someone jumping a queue in front of them? Now, to the British, okay, the queue is tried and tested formula. It works. It's organized. And if everyone sticks to it, everyone will get their turn, whether you're queuing up in, in a line and shop or in a car, a, a queue of cars, it doesn't matter. It's the queue, and it is to be revered. <laughs> but we've all experienced when people have jumped the queue, yes? I remember I was in, on holiday a few years ago, and I was in, uh, in Greece, and there, it was the evening buffet. It was beautiful. It was fantastic. And in the buffet, there was everything, salads, meats, and they brought out some delicious, freshly cooked meat. And I was in the queue, and I was waiting, and people in front of me were gradually getting more of this cooked meat, and I couldn't wait to get my hands on it. There was a couple slices left. Then it was my turn. I went to dive in, and suddenly, and I'm not going to mention the nationality, but a certain nationality, female, jumped in the queue and grabbed the last two remaining pieces of, of meat. I didn't, I didn't sort of, how dare you, because I, I was... But I looked at her, I looked at the meat, I looked at myself, I looked in the mirror, but what is going on? What is going on? That is queue jumping at its worst. Okay, and uh, I didn't say anything, I didn't overreact, I was good in that, in that situation. But there's many things that we hold... Uh, precious and dear, and there's many reasons we have to react, haven't we? And sometimes the voice our complaint. I mean, who, give me a show of hands. If you go to a restaurant, if the meal isn't up to scratch, and you don't like it when someone else complains, you don't like, you maybe feel embarrassed when someone else complains. That's a bit of a British, British thing as well. See, I, I married a, uh, into an Italian family, and they're used to complaining. Nicely, but they, they, they voice their... Uh, their um, I've actually I've been in a real big family meal and all oh, carnage broke loose at one point, but that's another story. Anyway, but there's things that we can do to complain and to react sometimes. One time we went on a holiday, this is before we had the children, uh, and we went on a holiday to Rhodes, and it was fantastic. We were flying out from Manchester, and we, uh, it was an overnight flight, so everything was fine. Got on a flight. Landed in roads about sort of four o'clock in the morning, so we're absolutely shattered. We couldn't wait to get to our hotel. So we got onto the bus, it was dropping people off at different venues, and it came to our hotel. We looked at the hotel, oh, it looks a nice hotel, fantastic. A little bit of a queue in front of us, the orderly queue, we didn't queue jump. And there's one other couple in front of us, and uh, I heard some words, and I thought, no, I didn't really hear that. I thought I heard the words to the couple in front of us. You've got the last word, the rooms. I was tired, we were tired, we were shattered, couldn't wait just to get some rest in bed. 
came to us, I'm really sorry, sir, we have no rooms left. I felt like Mary and Joseph. <laughs> no rooms left. So uh, what happened? So they said, but don't worry, we have a partner hotel down the room, and they'll look after you. So I think the hotel we'd booked into was a nice four-star hotel, all the different facilities. Um, and one thing I do love is I love a cooked breakfast. I love a cooked breakfast. This hotel had cooked breakfast, and so I thought, okay, great. Well, that's fine. Thank you. We're going to look after us just down the road. It's just, and it was about, about a five-minute walk down the road. That was fine. Went to the hotel, looked at it, and thought, no, that's not a four-star hotel. It was nice. It was clean. But it wasn't what we paid for. And in the mornings, there was no cooked breakfast. There was yogurt. Now, if you're a yogurt eater, then yeah, great. I like a bit of yogurt, but not for my breakfast. Give me sausage, bacon, you know, not air. Oh, yeah, um, great. And there was none of that. I thought, goodness me. Anyway, we had a fantastic holiday. We had a really, really good time. And it thought, yeah, that's been great. We had a bit of a dodgy start to it, but it was fine. Anyway, what happened next is we went to fly home. It was going to be an evening flight. Went onto the coach. And we soon realized that our flight home was going to be through the night had been cancelled. Don't worry, we're going to take you to a hotel. Oh, great, we get an extra stay. All, all good. Now, we, again, we were without children, and there were lots, plenty of families that had children, and gosh, we hoped it was going to work out for them. Soon as we, and we were a, a, a big coach full of British people, a lot of uh, people from Manchester, because that's where we flew from, and uh, as soon as we got to the hotel, it soon realized that there was no rooms available and that we were going to have to spend the night on a carpeted but hard floor. I, you've never seen anything like it. The complaint, I would have hated to be a holiday rep then because literally they were being sworn at, cursed at, you know, and it's like everyone was giving in to them. Now, I, I appreciated how people were feeding, people had young children. Um, anyway, so we slept the night before, and the next morning the rep said to us, don't worry, we've got breakfast for you. I mean, I didn't feel like a cooked breakfast. There was cooked breakfast, but I didn't feel like it. it was, uh, I was so tired, but I, had, I, had, I managed it, you know. <laughs> we didn't know when our, uh, our flight was going to happen, and they, all they did is kept promising it all, every hour, we've got a hotel room for you, we've got a hotel room. We didn't know when we were flying back. Was it going to be today? Was it going to be the next day? But we've got a hotel room for you. Hour passed after hour, hour passed at four o'clock in the afternoon. He said, Mr. and Mrs. Bolton, we have a hotel room for you. We slept for two hours, because then after that we had to have a meal, and we were flying out about eight o'clock at night that same day. We felt absolutely shattered. And I remember that, day, that occasion particularly because there were two groups of people. There were the people that were complaining, and you know, sometimes it's right to complain, isn't it? Depending how you do it. Complain, but complain nicely. And there were another group of which we found ourselves in that thought, well, this is where it's at. There's nothing we can do about it. Let's just uh, get on and try and enjoy, enjoy the journey, as it were. And uh, it's all about our responses and our reactions, isn't it? And uh, I've just got this, this thought for us today, which is simply this. Influence requires response, not a reaction. Influence requires a response, not a reaction. Because influence is, you and I have been given the 
ability to influence, to make change, whether it's in our families, in our, in our, in our homes, in our work situations, in our neighborhoods. We can make change for the good or for the bad. We've got the ability to change and to cause change. Influence. But to influence well requires us to respond and not react. My hands up if you've ever had a situation where you've reacted or overreacted. Come on. Let's be honest. Two hands up. And if you're raising young children, yes. We can react and overreact. A reaction is about how we're feeling, isn't it? You might feel angry, sad, let down. Therefore, you're going to let that person know about it. You're going to voice your complaint or your concern or your, however you're going to do it. And when we react, often it isn't in the best way, is it? Let's be honest. And if we're going to influence for good, it requires us to respond and not react. Response requires something different to a reaction. If, respo- if reaction is about our feelings, response is all about doing the right thing. And in these last two Beatitudes, it's all about making influence. Being a peacemaker, when we're persecuted, it's all about being an influence. So we're going to read this um, together, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. I'll encourage you to read it out loud if you, if you feel comfortable with that. And, um, and then when it comes to blessed, choose your word. Whether it's blessed or blessed, it's up to you, okay? Um, and seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So, Influence requires a response and not a reaction. And the first thing I just want to look at today, the Bible's got a lot of things to say about these two issues. The first thing is, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Wow, that is a challenge alone, being a peacemaker. Peace means wholeness. It means integrity of mind and thought. And do you know what? Jesus wants you and I to experience peace in our lives. Hang on, hang on Dave. Didn't, didn't Jesus say that he came not to bring peace, but to bring a sword and to cause um, sons to rise up against brother and mother and father? Yes, he did. But he didn't mean that. I'll come into that in a minute. But God wants peace for you and my life. And there's many things that will try and rob us of peace. Isn't that true? Things in your workplaces, the pressure of work can rob you of peace. 
really can. The pressure of a deadline can then affect your and my relationships. Falling out with someone. Often we fall out with those nearest and dearest to us, don't we? Those nearest and dearest to us are our, our husbands, wives, our, our children, our family. Because we can be more ourselves, we tell it as it is. And we can easily fall out. Pressure relationships. Friendships. A disagreement. A misunderstanding. Things happen that can rob us of peace. And ultimately, peace with God. See, there's three forms of peace. There's the internal peace of our mind. That God wants to be whole. And you know when you're at peace, but you also know when you're not at peace. You might be stressed. You feel it in your mind. You feel it in your, in your heart. Externally, in our relationships, God wants to have peace. And spiritually, in our walk and relationship with God, God wants to walk in peace. But things can rob us of our peace. But God says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. What was he saying? Well, the ultimate peacemaker was, is, and ever will be God himself. Because wasn't it, he created man. He created the world, he created man. And he gave, he had, all he wanted was a relationship with man. A relationship with man. And then what happened is he said, look, all you need to do is live, but don't eat of this, this tree, this fruit from this tree. And man just disobeyed. Now, if, if I was God, and you're going to be thankful I'm not, if I was God, I would have reacted. I would have said, well, forget man, let's start again. But not God. God loved man. God loves man. Humankind. And wants a relationship with you and I. So he didn't start again, but he had a plan. He had a response. Not a reaction, but a response. And that response ended in our celebration of Easter when Jesus came. Jesus was God in the flesh. But for the, the punishment of doing the wrong thing against God required death. You might think that's a bit harsh, Dave. But it required death. God in the image of Jesus, allowed himself to be killed. As we know, the, the Easter account, he rose again, didn't he? Meaning that you and I can have everlasting life in Jesus. Jesus. Amazing. God made peace with man. God made the response. God made the, took the initiative to make peace with man. Had a plan. That plan was Jesus. And all you and I have to do is have faith in Jesus have that relationship back with God, to change our mind of the way we live our lives, making God central, saying, God, I want that relationship with you. On my own, life can be a mess. I might be good at certain things, but I want your help to make my life the best it can be, to make it a success. And God made that way possible. God was the ultimate peacemaker. And God says, blessed are you and me when we too are peacemakers. Why? Because we will be called sons of God. What was Jesus saying? He says, you're going to walk like my father walked. You're going to walk like my father walked. My father showed us how it was to be a peacemaker. Walked. Walk as father walked. Be a peacemaker like he was and is. And God wants you and I to, to bring wholeness. 
God wants you not to be stressed. Now, let's be honest, we get stressed. So when the Bible says, be anxious for nothing, well, it's because we get anxious, isn't it? Let's not pretend. But it gives us away. When we get stressed about our situations, internal ill peace, then we can say, God, God, present your request to God. Present your request to God with thanksgiving. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and mind. The peace comes when we present our problems to Jesus. Isn't that good? So we're going to be at peace internally. We can be at peace in our relationships. You know? And I want to say this. Peace costs. Real peace costs. Because it's about doing the right thing. If you've fallen out with someone and maybe it was your responsibility, then to have peace in your relationship with that person again requires you to do something about it. If it was your responsibility and your fault, then Jesus tells us what to do, doesn't he? Go. Say sorry. Just be quick to say sorry. Because the great thing is, sometimes we shy away from problems. And we know they're there, but they're like the elephant in the room. We know they're there, but I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to address it. But we know they're there in our hearts. And it costs us because it robs us of peace in our heart. But when we go and we try and sort it out and we say sorry, then we've done our bit. It's then down to the other person to forgive you. Yes? It's hard, isn't it? But it's the way. And when we've done it and it works out, we think, why didn't we do that sooner? But on the other extreme, we've got to think, well, someone has done wrong to us. And we can react. We can react by saying, well, I'm going to lick my wounds. I'm going to take offense. I'm going to not talk to them. Or, if they come to you, you can say, it's okay. All forgiven. Because peace costs. It's true. Peace costs. And Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers Because God wants you to make peace with God, with other people, and with yourself. And you are blessed. You are to be envied when you make peace. Because you're acting like Father God acted. Wow. God wants you and I to be peacemakers. But we can't react. To be a peacemaker takes us to make a a response. Thanks, Jude. And then the good bit. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Is that right? Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. No? What does it say? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Can I say this? Sometimes persecution happens in so many different forms, and it's is a real apt um, topic at the moment when we see persecution happening across the globe with the rise of, of ISIS or ISIL. Persecution happens in, in verbal form, happens in bodily form, emotional form, many different forms. And sometimes a Christian can say, I'm being persecuted and revel in it, but they're not being persecuted because they're being persecuted for being silly, for not acting appropriately or foolishly sometimes. We've all seen those people. Perhaps you've been one. Here, Jesus is saying, you are blessed when you are persecuted. Why? 
for righteousness' sake. For righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Righteousness basically means purity of life, virtue, uprightness, correctness, doing the right thing, right living. When you and I have a hard time or trials or persecution for doing the right thing, then, Jesus says, you and I are blessed. Not for saying stupid things or speaking inappropriately, but for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we notice how the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, it's the same promise at the end. Because our reward is in heaven. And in fact, there are only eight Beatitudes, but the next one, thank you Jude, verse 11, Jesus amplifies this. this in verse um, 10, it's in the, in the third person. Now he says, blessed are you. So now Jesus is expecting, he's in, you know, if you live for me, this is hard Christians, but if you live for me, you can expect trials, temptations and persecution. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil falsely for my sake, for the sake of Jesus. Rejoice! (laughs) Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And Jesus says, Expect hard times, expect trials, expect persecution. In fact, Peter and, and the Apostle Paul, two apostles that wrote some, a lot of the uh, New Testament, said you too can expect persecution. And they lived a life where they were persecuted. And persecution comes in different forms. Sometimes it's mild. Maybe it's someone at work who knows you're a Christian just gives you a bit of a, a, a dig. To the other extreme where people have been beheaded on our watch, in our time. Persecution has many different forms, but Jesus said, expect it. Expect it. It's a great joyous message, isn't it? Expect it. But not for saying and doing daft things, but for doing the right thing and for being called a Christian. Expect it. Because when we expect it, we are better able to handle it. Expect it. Persecution comes in, in different forms. And I'm just... Rem- in James, it says to expect trials. And we don't often want to hear this, do we? But what does Jesus say? To expect it. But in verse 12... He tells us to rejoice. And this is like the topsy-turvy gospel. This is the upside-down gospel. Why do we have persecution? Why do we? Because there's a battle and there's a fight for the ownership of this world. We have two value systems that are diagrammatically opposed to each other. On the one hand, we have the kingdom of God. On the other hand, we have the kingdom of Satan at war with each other. And doing the right thing... For example, if you want to be a peacemaker, it's not about making peace in your relationships. Maybe you may see two parties that aren't talking to each other. Yes? 
Therefore, God doesn't want you to be a meddler, but if you have a relationship, then God would want you to try and bring peace between those two parties. But doing the right thing sometimes costs, as we said. Therefore, you might be, you're, you might be misunderstood. Oh, you're just getting involved, just meddling, you're trying to take sides. No. Because it costs you to take time to sit down with people, to listen well, listen without bias, to offer your opinion, and to try and see two parties re, uh, reconciled. But you might be persecuted for trying to get involved, for trying to do the right thing. And as Christians, God wants us to do the right thing, doesn't he? He wants to do the right thing. Say the right thing. Think the right thing. We don't always and we mess up. But God wants us to get back on our feet and to keep trying to do the right thing. And you could be called a a (laughs) do-gooder. You could be taking the mickey off because you're trying to do the right thing. But doing the right thing brings positive results and it brings in the kingdom of God. When we act as salt and light, which is what Jesus goes on to talk about after the Beatitudes. God wants us to be salty. God wants us to bring light into our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our marriages, our homes. Bring up your children. And sometimes it's hard work, isn't it? And we get a bit of pushback. But Jesus says, rejoice. Rejoice. And you see, rejoicing is a choice. When you get a bit pushed back in life, when you get persecuted, when you go through a trial, you've got a choice about what you're going to do. You can either react or you can choose to respond. If you react, then you're just operating at the same level, the same value system. But God calls us to a different value system one that we are able to operate on with the power of the Holy Spirit living in our lives. One where we can choose not to react, but to respond accordingly as the situation asks for. So when we're persecuted, Jesus says, I want you to respond. How does he want us to respond? He says, I want you to rejoice. Does that sound good? When someone's sit backbiting at you, someone's misunderstood you, don't you just want to walk out the room? Don't you just want to go in a huff and go somewhere and have a a little party, pity party. It's our natural instinct, isn't it? But God says, no, rejoice. And the thing is, hands up if you want joy in your life. Come on, be honest. You want joy in your life. So we all want joy in our life. But it takes a choice to rejoice. You see, happiness is all about the happenings that are happening around us and to us. And God says, don't be happy. He says, rejoice. And what we think is, we react and that makes us feel good. And whatever we feed in a difficult situation or a trial, will make us, that will grow. But God doesn't want us to feel self, self, feed self-pity or getting even. He wants us to feed joy, and joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So if you can make a decision to be mad, to be angry, to be stressed, to be upset, you and I can make a decision to rejoice. Yes? And as we feed that, and we speak that, and as we think that, remember as we think so a man is, 
we will become that. And even in the deepest, darkest times of your life, you can know exceedingly joy. Jesus says, Doesn't, don't just rejoice, but be exceedingly glad. You can put on, as a Christian, as it were, the garments or the clothes of praise in every season of your soul. Doesn't matter the circumstances, doesn't matter the upsets, doesn't matter what people have done to you, said about you, you can choose joy and you can choose to rejoice because the fruit of the Spirit is a decision of your and my will. But it takes us to pause, to not react, but to make a decision to respond. Influence requires a response, not a reaction. So what can you do about this? Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Jesus said, blessed are you, those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. How can we do this? How can we bring this around? What can you do in your life? Number one, three Ps. Number one, pause. Because when we react, we do it straight away. We do it in the moment. We have this thing in our household with the kids that, um, and we try and do it as much as we can, that if one of us is getting a bit cross with the kids, that we'll try and leave the room. The other one will try and take over. So, like, anger doesn't get the, the better of us. Because raising kids is, is hard work, isn't it? So we have this thing about this sort of tag team thing to pause. Don't always do it, but we, we spoke about it and try and work towards that. To pause in your life, in a relationship issue, when you're lacking peace or so you see people who are divided, pause and think, what can I do? Second P, pray. Ask God, what can I do in this situation? How can I make a difference? How can I bring influence? How can I make peace? How can I respond accordingly to bring Jesus and Father God glory? How can I do that? Pause and pray. And then, once you've done that, and you've got to walk in it. You've got to walk in it. But it's down to you. And it's down to me. And God wants you and I to be peacemakers. And he wants us to rejoice every season of our soul. Do you think you can do that? Do you think you can do that? Do you think we can do that? Come on. It's a challenge. God doesn't want you to stay the same. You can listen to this message today and walk out the doors. I've had a nice time. But God wants to change your life. And I promise you, there'll be times in your life where there'll be lacking of peace. What are you going to do about it? Blessed are the peacemakers. God wants you to make peace. There'll be times when you go through trials for doing the right thing or be, because you're a Christian. There will be times. Jesus said to expect it. What are you going to do about it? Lick your wounds in private? Or are you going to choose to rejoice? There's a man in the in, um, Second World War called Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a, a psychologist, and he was also a Jew. And he was in the, um, the prisoner of war camps. And day went by after day, and he didn't know from one day to the next whether he was going to die where he's going to end up being in one of the ovens. 
all the gas chambers. Each day led to another day, and he was scared, frightened, all sorts of things were going on in his, in his heart and his head. And, you know, he, he didn't know whether he was going to die. And one day, he looked at the prison guards. He was looking around at the situation. And he thought, you know, they could kill me. They could do what they want to me. And he suffered different beatings and different torture. They could do what they want for me. But you know what? In here, I can be free. So he made a decision that day that he was going to act like a free man. No matter what they did to him, he was going to make a choice to live like a free man. Not to react, but to respond. And do you know what? Every day, to help him with this, he visualized himself being free from the prison of war camp. He visualized himself being back in the, the lecture theaters with his students and telling them tales of how he endured and got through this difficult time. And day went after day, and Viktor Frankl knew greater freedom in his heart and in his head because it wasn't a case of his circumstances or his situation. It was about a choice. It was about a decision about how he was going to respond in his difficult times. Victor never actually got, um, got killed. He made it as a free man, and his very dream of lecturing back with students became a reality for him. If Victor could do it in a prisoner of war camp, you can do it. I can do it. We can do it. Amen? Because it takes a choice to rejoice. It takes a choice to, be a, um, to seek peace, to be a peacemaker. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've never yet made your peace with God. Maybe today could be the opportunity for you to do that. To make Maybe as I'm talking, there's a relationship that comes to your mind. You think there's not peace there. You can be a peacemaker. God requires it, doing the right thing. Maybe you're going through a difficult time. Maybe you're getting a bit of slack or because you're a Christian or trying to do the right thing. Well, choose. Make a choice to rejoice. Amen. And just imagine if we rose up as individuals and as a church to do the right thing, to respond and not react, how much greater our influence would be of the kingdom of God in our lives. And how much peace and joy we would walk in by applying these two, I say simple, but two principles that Jesus asked us to do. Because blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are, are those persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And there is a great reward in heaven awaiting you and I. Sometimes we reward in different things down here on earth, but there's a great reward, reward waiting for you and I in heaven when we do the right thing and we choose to rejoice. Let's pray. We hope that you enjoyed this message. For many more resources and for more information, visit our website at www.life-cc.org.